Great job. Walk closely. Yeah, walk carefully. You're good. This is uh, not going to come as a big news flash for many of you here. Uh, if you recently moved to this part of the country, um, this will come as a news flash to you. It is really windy here. Um, and I say that today in light of what we're going to be talking about today, windshields and rearview mirrors. And, uh, and what hit me, literally hit me yesterday on my bike ride, as I was coming back from Castroville on, on Highway 183, it was great going out to Castroville. It was, I'm going, man, I am having the ride of my life. This is going to be awesome. This is fantastic. I felt like Lance Armstrong without the PEDs. Uh, but, uh, but I was flying. And then this reality hit me, that once I make the turn to head back, it is going to be very difficult. And, as a, and so I track all my rides, and, and so I made the turn. Little did I know how difficult it was going to be. I felt like I was going, uh, just riding through quicksand at that point. My time plummeted, and, and what made it even more embarrassing was a gentleman, I think he was maybe 65 years old, flew right by me on his bike. I'm going, this is not fun at all. Uh, but... What, as I was struggling against the wind, what occurred to me was how much I longed for a windshield. How I longed for something to be protecting me from the wind and so I could move forward peacefully and, and, and efficiently. And when people design cars, you'll notice this, that the rear view mirror is small. The windshield is big and there's, there's intentionality behind that. If the rearview mirror was bigger than the windshield, all your attention is going to be on what's behind you, not on what's before you. Accidents would increase and who knows what else would happen. But the windshield is bigger because up in front of us is where we need to be focused. The reality though for all of us in this room is that oftentimes the rearview mirror gets a whole lot bigger than the windshield. It's not a new problem. It's not a new issue to deal with. It's, it's something that humanity's been dealing with for a long time. And I bring that up because of what we're going to read today in Haggai chapter 2. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. And we'll start at verse 1. We'll go all the way down to verse 9. And in the middle of this, I think you'll see what I'm talking about as far as the rearview mirror. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares Yahweh. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares Yahweh, and work. For I am with you, declares Yahweh Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not Fear. 
This is what Yahweh Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares Yahweh Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says Yahweh Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares Yahweh Almighty. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we could see, open our ears that we could hear, open our hearts that we would be transformed and that our hearts would be softened to receive from you what it is to live lives that bring glory to you. And that you would open our minds that we would understand more fully what you desire to do in our lives and through our lives for your glory. And Lord Jesus, we pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear and that you, Lord Jesus, would be lifted up, that you would receive all praise and glory. Because your grace truly is amazing. Your love truly is marvelous. And you continue changing lives all the time. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we pick this up in in Haggai chapter 2. We started last week by, by talking about the people are finally coming back. It's been 66 years since many of them had seen the temple. And now they're back and they began the work in Haggai chapter 1. So now it's a month into the, pro, into the project, and we read these words. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? The people had been working for a month. They had been doing due diligence. They had been working hard day in and day out, week in and week out. And as they came to this place at the end of the first month, they looked around and it makes sense what they felt. They felt discouraged. They were wondering if it was if it was worth the effort. And I call it the disease of discouragement because discouragement starts very small, but yet it doesn't take a whole lot of time for it to get even bigger and bigger and bigger. And discouragement can come at us in so many different ways. It can come at us in ways that we expect and in ways that we don't expect, even when we're trying to do great things. A priest and a rabbi from local local parishes were standing by the side of the road holding up the following signs. The rabbi's sign read, The end is near. The priest on the other side of the road held up a sign which read, Turn before it's too late. They planned to hold up these signs for as long as was necessary to each passing car. A car comes up to them and is passing by and the driver yells at them and says, Get a job. The second, immediately behind the first, yelled, Leave us alone, you religious freaks. Shortly from around the curve, they heard screeching tires and a splash followed by more screeching tires and another splash. 
the rabbi looked over at his companion and said this, do you think we should try a different sign? The other man replied, perhaps bridge out might be a better sign. (laughs) These two individuals trying to prevent a catastrophe from happening were constantly being discouraged by these drivers, telling them they needed to get a job, telling them that that they were completely out of it. And yet, so often, when we try to do great things for God, the message is not received as well. It's not received very well at all, and after a month into this project, the people were getting discouraged. And yes, there were outside voices, and you can read about this in Ezra chapter 4. There were outside voices that were, that were mocking the people as they worked, in, as they worked on the, the temple. And what makes this, I think, a little bit more interesting at least, is this, is that the people had all the resources necessary to do the work. Remember, there's been an edict that went out from the, from the, uh, from the, the emperor that said if any of these people who are returning to Jerusalem to do this work, if they need anything, you will provide it for them. Gold, silver, whatever they need, you take care of them. So there's this royal edict saying you're going to have all the supplies you need. So it wasn't that they didn't have the supplies that was discouraging them. And yes, the people around them perhaps were, not perhaps, they were mocking them. But there was something else that was going on, and look at what happens here in verse 3, and it's Yahweh, it's God himself asking them this question, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? For many of the people, they had seen the former house. They had seen the former temple. They had seen it in all its glories, in all of its majesty. And because they remember what it looked like and what they're now viewing, piles of rubble. Yes, they had been working diligently, cleaning it up and building the foundation, but they knew they had a long way to go. Here's what was discouraging them more than anything else. And it's what discourages you and me. They were spending so much time looking at the rearview mirror. They were spending so much time remembering the past that they forgot that God was using them now in the present and for the future. There's nothing wrong with looking back. Hear me clearly on that. We learn a lot from looking back. But when we get stuck back there, at least when I get stuck looking back, these are things that happen to me that I can't change. I can't change what happened to me in junior high when I was bullied because I was an overweight kid. I can't change the different things that people have said to me over the course of all my ministry years that have not been overly kind. I can't change those things, but I can learn from them. And I can move forward and say, God is with me. But I found this, that when I dwell on the rearview mirror, when I dwell on the past, what ends up happening is this, is that I, when I develop a passion for the past, it produces problems in my present. Some of us, if not all of us in here, understand what that means. We spend so much time looking back, we spend so much time looking back, that we cannot see forward. And that's what's going on here in Haggai. 
The people remember all these great things, the magnificence of this building. And let me tell you something. The temple's past was magnificent. And so the people there are working, and yet they're now coming to grips with this, that the present day is not what it used to be. Let me tell you just a few things about the temple's past and why it was such a looming shadow over the people. The first is this. The temple took seven years to build. Seven years. Seven years to put this magnificent building together. It involved 183,000 people for seven years. Now granted, that's cumulative, 183,000. But 183,000 people involved in this building. Seven years, 183,000 people. And it contained an amazing amount of stuff. And it contained 6,300,000 6, pounds of silver. And 560,000. 560,700 pounds of gold. I'm really struggling with my numbers. I apologize. (laughs) That's why we have an accountant. Um, It was amazing. It was declared one of the most magnificent buildings around. People saw it from from all over. People came from all over the world to see this phenomenal, phenomenal place. And now these people are seeing it after 66 years of not seeing it. They're seeing it and the temple's present right then was a far cry from its past. They were discouraged. And that discouragement began to sink in and that discouragement began to spread. And for those of us in this room, for all of us in this room, there was this, this ongoing heaviness that we're never going to make it through it. When you look back in your own past, the thrills from your past become all the more thrilling and the downs of your past become all the more down. I'm now 52 and, and I, I, I find myself oftentimes saying, I used to have more energy. I used to have, it seemed like there used to be more time that I could do this or to do that. I used to have this uh, more of a willingness to try new things. I still try new things, but, but not with the same amount of zest. I used to have more of this or more of that. I used to think that there was so much more out there. And I'm 52 now and I'm looking back going, what's going on with my present today though? That same God who brought me through all of those things, that same God that provided the energy, provided the time, provided this, provided that, is still active today. But what ends up happening as I focus in on the past, discouragement becomes a very big problem for me. It becomes a big problem for all of us. And so the stage is set as God's talking to the people and he's saying, look back and I know you're discouraged right now because he's very blunt with them. He says, how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? This magnificent building that people came from all over the world to see, he now says, does it not look to you like nothing? We get discouraged, we get frustrated. And then 
that magic word in the Bible. But. But now be strong. Zerubbabel declares Yahweh. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares Yahweh, and work, for I am with you. We have the disease of discouragement, and now God provides the prescription for perseverance. That's what our God does. He knows when we need to be picked up. He knows when we need to turn things around. And I find it fascinating that in verse 4, he says three times, be strong, be strong, be strong. He knows the people are discouraged, and perhaps you're here this morning and you're discouraged, not knowing if you can go on. Our God says, be strong, be strong, be strong. I'm with you. I'm not going to let you go. Yes, you have issues that are going here or there, but I'm with you. I won't let you go. I will come alongside you and work with you. A famous pianist was scheduled to perform at a, at a, at a beautiful, great concert hall in the United States. It was a high, high society extravaganza, and, and this mom showed up with her nine-year-old son, and, and her nine-year-old son was very fidgety like most nine-year-old sons are. And she had hopes that seeing this incredible pianist would help her son be motivated to take piano lessons or to continue on in taking piano lessons. So the mother turned to talk to a friend of hers that was sitting next to her and the son looked up and saw the grand piano up on the stage. And so the nine-year-old snuck away and went up onto the stage. Looked at the piano. Everybody's out in the audience talking. And remember, this is a high society event. Everybody's out there talking and having a great time. And this nine-year-old takes a seat at the piano and begins to play chopsticks. The concert hall went from all these different whispering conversations to people looking at this child. And after a few moments of him playing chopsticks, someone began to shout these words, Where is this kid's mother? Somebody grab that kid now. And the kid kept playing. This nine-year-old continued to play. Backstage, the, the pianist was overheard the sounds that were coming from the audience, and, and he realized what was going on, and so he came from backstage, and, and without one word of announcement, he comes up behind the boy, and he stoops over the boy, and begins to play a counter melody to harmonize with and enhance chopsticks. And as they played together, the composer kept whispering in the boy's ear, Keep going. Don't quit. Keep playing. Don't stop. Don't quit. And the concert hall was overwhelmed with how amazing this beautiful piece of music was. 
You and I, before God, play a whole lot of chopsticks in our life. And God comes alongside us and says, Be strong. Keep playing. Don't quit. Keep hanging in there. Persevere. I'm going to play here right with you. Because look what he says here. He says, Do the work. He says, Work, for I am with you. He gathers around us. He stoops over us, in a sense. And he plays alongside us and takes our broken chopsticks melodies and he makes them beautiful pieces of music. That's why we can keep going. It's why we need a windshield in our life as he's protecting us from the discouragement, as he's moving us forward and saying, don't look back any longer. Don't look in the rearview mirror. Keep looking ahead because I am with you. And then he says this in verse 5. He says, This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. The Lord knows this, that we need strength. And he also knows this, that we have, and he will provide, what I call the triple P prescription to carry us through. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. The first P is this, His promises. God promises all throughout Scripture that He will take care of us. He made this promise in Genesis chapter 15 to Abraham that He's going to raise up a people that is going to so overwhelm all of, all of creation that, that Abraham would not be able to count all of, these, all of, his, um, all of his lineage. It will outnumber the sands on the seashore. It will outnumber the stars in the sky. His promises are real. We read this promise from the book of Isaiah. When you pass through the rivers, I will be with you. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. They will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you away set you ablaze, for I am Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's what the prophet Isaiah says. The psalmist writes these words, Yahweh is trustworthy in all his promises, in all he promises, and faithful in all he does. He's trustworthy. We have people in our lives who have broken promises, but God will never do that. And then we wrap up this with these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus Christ. His promises. His promises help us stay strong. And then he says this, And my spirit remains among you. We move from His promises, and then what do we need? More, Just as much as we need His promises, we need His presence. We need His presence with us as we continue moving forward, as we look out the windshield, and we see things coming at us. We need His presence because it's in His presence where we know where we need to go. Again, we come to the book of Isaiah and we read these words, or the book of Isaiah and we read these words, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And the psalmist says this, and some of you in this room, this is one of your favorite verses, the psalmist says this, be still and know that I am God. 
in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of things not working out the way we want, and we're sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm getting discouraged, I'm getting frustrated, I don't know if I can keep going, we cry out and God says, be still. Chill out. That might be the Hebrew. Chill out. And know that I am God. And then Jesus says these words, the last verse of Matthew, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's his promises that he will always keep. It's his presence that he provides. And lastly, it's we found these words and the, and the last part of verse 5, do not fear. Why don't we fear? Because it's the third P in the prescription. His protection. He protects us. The prophet Zechariah says this, It is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We go up against humongous obstacles. We go up against people that are going to discourage us. Our past will discourage us, perhaps. But in the midst of that, it isn't that we come up with some strategy. It's that we rest in the protection that He will take care of us no matter what. The psalmist writes these words in Psalm 33. He says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. But the eyes of Yahweh are on those who fear Him, on those who hope is in His unfailing love. Where's your hope right now? Is it in Him? Is it in Him who's going to take care of you as you look out the windshield of your life? Notice that He will protect you. That's what I could have used yesterday, protecting me from the wind. And God takes us, takes us through those times. And then we read these words out of John chapter 10 and listen to this protection that Jesus offers. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And get this next part. You talk about, you talk about protection? This is where I want to be. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's protection. God holds us in His hand and He says, whatever's going to come at you, I'm with you. Yes, it might be difficult at times, but I'm going to protect you. Nobody can take you out of my hand. He's there. I'm there taking care of you. The triple P prescription is His promises, it's His presence, it's His protection. And that's what we need as He provides the windshield before us, as we look ahead, as we move forward. He won't let us down. But God's not done yet. And he says this in verse 6. This is what Yahweh Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh Almighty. All these different things that we do, the Haggai project that we're doing right now is not for our glory. It is His glory, never ours. It's not for us. It's not for us to say, wow, look at what we've done in our sanctuary. No, that's not it at all. It is for His glory. It is for Him to be praised 
and worshipped. And that's what God is saying here to the people. He's saying, I am still at work, and I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. You'll notice everything's covered. God is on the move, and God will do great things. And he says this in verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. His temple is where his presence dwells, and here's what's going to happen now, and it's, it's happening because of what Jesus Christ has done, is his presence is no longer in just simply a building. His presence is everywhere. His kingdom is on the move. He is always expanding his reach. That's why the glory is greater now than it once was. He's no longer contained in a building. His glory reaches to the heavens. His glory reaches to the skies. His glory reaches into the depths of Monterey Bay. His glory reaches to the tips of Mount Everest. His glory is everywhere and it's constantly expanding. It's never about us. It is always about Him. And when we have that in mind, we can move forward because He's providing all we need as we look through the windshield in front of us. And in this place, I will grant peace. I'll grant peace in my presence. I will grant you peace. As you look in the rearview mirror, anxieties happen, concerns happen about things that you can no longer change. But as you look forward and you look out the windshield, all of a sudden what you realize is that it's about Him. And when I'm walking with Him, I have this incredible sense of peace. My circumstances aren't changing, but the way I'm viewing them is changing. I will grant you peace. Do you need peace today? Do you need that peace? Do you need to be reminded of the promises? Do you need to be reminded of His presence? Do you need to be reminded of His protection? That's what the people needed because they were discouraged. They were tired. They were exhausted. They didn't know how much more they could take. And into the midst of that, God says, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to walk with you through this. My prayer for us, my prayer for myself, is that we will look out the windshield for God's glory. That we'll look out the windshield for God to do great things. That we'll look out the windshield to say God is at work. And that He is with us no matter what comes our way. Jesus Christ, for the joy set before Him, considered the cross, and he went through with it. He looked out the windshield. Yeah, he knew all the rear view stuff in all of our lives. He knows the the mess that we've made of things. He knows the difficulties we've had in our past. He knows the things that have happened to us in the past. But Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, the joy set before the windshield, if if we can continue on with that analogy, he moved forward and he said, I'm moving forward and I'm inviting you to move forward with me. And so this morning, I invite you to look out the windshield for God's glory. 
Because he's on the move. And he'll continue to be on the move. And when we encounter this incredible God, he will shake things up in such a way that he receives all glory, no matter what. So I'm asking you today, are you looking through the, at the rearview mirror or are you looking through the windshield? It's been an issue that humanity has struggled with for a long time. And Jesus Christ moves us forward. And Jesus Christ says, let's move ahead. Father, we pray now as we contemplate these words, we ask that you would help us look through the windshield to see you at work. And Lord, I know I know there are people in this room right now that are dealing with so much stuff that they can't see out the windshield. And I would ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that your promises, that your presence, and that your protection would not only minister to them, but that you'd minister to all of us. Because Lord, without you, Without you, there is no hope. And I thank you that you're a God that reaches into our discouragement. You're a God that reaches into our life situation. And you're a God that's able to handle it. And you're a God that's faithful to your promise. You're a God that takes care of your people by your presence. And you're a God that protects us and walks us through whatever comes our way. And Lord Jesus, I pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would keep us moving forward to look out the windshield and say, there's God, and he keeps on moving me forward. Holy Spirit, do your work. Have your way in all of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I invite you to stand, and uh, we're going to sing a couple more songs as we celebrate this great God.